Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause, the podcast for growth-oriented entrepreneurs and executives who aspire to create positive change in the world. Are you in business for more than just profit? Then like and subscribe today and join our channel to become a hustler for a cause. Hustlers for a Cause. Today, we're honored to have special guest Nelly Yusupova. Nelly is a CTO, startup tech advisor, speaker, and entrepreneur with over 18 years of experience in technology. She's the founder of Tech Speak for Entrepreneurs, an organization that teaches entrepreneurs how to manage development teams and projects like a CTO without being technical or learning how to code. Prior to that, she was the CTO and the New York City chapter leader of Web Girls International company that enables women in technology to tell their careers forward. Nellie, it's an honor to have you here today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Absolutely, Sean. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? Maybe what life was like for you growing up and what sparked your interest in computer science? Sure. It's a very funny story because I never thought about getting into tech or computers. It's never been in my stars. I am originally from Tajikistan which is part of the former Soviet Union. My family escaped from there in the early 90s when right before the Soviet Union collapsed. And we ended up in the US. You know, it was a huge culture shock for me because everything was different there. And I think from a tech standpoint, we were about probably 20 years behind. And so when I came to school, you know, like I've always had an inclination for being good in math and sciences in general, but I didn't speak a word of English. So Things were tough for me in the beginning, you know, getting used to the culture, learning English and doing all these things. And early on, I had to work, you know, (laughs) started working at 13. (laughs) I think we were mature enough. We had to kind of mature very quickly. And at 13, I was doing a job and I was 16 year old and nobody actually questioned to ask me, am I old enough (laughs) to work? So that's how I kind of made my start, went through high school and then When I was deciding to study what to go into professionally, I decided that I was going to go into computers because with my guidance counselor, we looked at what profession is going to ensure that I have work when I get out of school. And that was in the early 90s, the tech boom was happening. I knew that if I went into computers, then I would always have a job. And funny enough, when I majored in computer science, I actually thought they were going to teach me how to use Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel really, really well. (laughs) In fact, I never even ever turned on a computer. Like I turned it on for the first time in my computer science class. And so it was just that whole moment of like being in a new country and not speaking the language. I literally was in exactly the same spot in my first computer science class because I was funny enough, got in into a night class because that was the only opening (laughs) that I could get into. And I was the only young person in the class and it was a huge lecture hall and the professor started speaking and I literally did not understand a word that was said in that class. So That's where I got started. I think the immigrant mentality of you have no other option, but like you chose this, you got to figure this out, (laughs) (laughs) helped me because I wanted to give up every single day for the first six months, probably. It was really, really tough. But 
once I got it and I really understood the power of being the creator is writing code, I saw the power of creating things rather than just using things. And so I got really, really excited. I finished my computer science program in three years instead of the standard four. Wow. Uh, because I was just like going, going, going. And I was really excited to go into the real world and actually start working. So that's how I got started. And I think those experiences really positioned me really well to working with non-technical people because I have so much empathy yeah. with what they're going through, not knowing, <laughs> but like facing the unknown of like this tech world and how what it's like to actually learn it from the very beginning. Yeah, so, I love that you even use the word empathy there, right? Because I feel like that's something to like as software engineers, right? As a fellow software engineer, like a lot of other engineers don't necessarily notice how important empathy is in building what you're doing, right? In building new software. But even like what you're saying, right? In terms of connecting with people that are non-technical, understanding where they're coming from and their perspective is so important to, to really yeah, be, have that conversation effectively. One of my experiences as I got into the professional world was working with a tech god, right? Like super <laughs> smart hacker type mentality. He treated me really badly. Like I was straight out of school. I, of course, I wasn't experienced. And yep. instead of mentoring me and teaching me, he was basically verbally abusive towards me and made me feel dumb every single day. That experience is another thing that I think really created that empathy. I told myself, like, I would never, ever be that way. And yep. so the consciousness of knowing who you're speaking to and bringing yourself down to their level, I think, is a skill that can be acquired. And I've certainly learned it <laughs> early on. <laughs> yeah, it's not like their level is like beneath you, right? It's that they're just coming from a different experience and a different mindset, right? And so, yeah, so interesting that you've had that experience. And I'm so sorry to hear that your first experience in the tech space was not a positive one. Is that what interested you in like kind of breaking out and because I guess you started at one place and then you kind of pretty much like jumped into web girls, right? And like, yeah, actually, I jumped into web girls while I was still in school. I always had jobs, like I said, since I was 13. And then I decided that, hey, I'm already like seriously going into this computer science thing and I'm becoming a developer. I want to get a job in the actual professional arena where I would actually use some of the skills that I'm learning. So I decided to apply for some internships. And Web Girls was one of the first companies who replied to me. So I went to the interview and I've actually never thought I would be working in a smallest company because I've always had a dream to work at a big corporation. To me, that meant that I made it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went to the interview and I saw this like probably seven people like crammed into this little room. They all had a computer station, but they were all so happy and excited. And oh. that was so palpable. The excitement in that room was incredibly palpable. And I knew that from that moment on that I wanted to work there. So I traveled, I did all these things that were way out of my way to really understand and be a part of it. This was 97. So if you think about the internet boom, I was a part of that and just also seeing and being empowered, like that mission of web girls of getting more women online, teaching them the skills that they needed. That really also got me fired up. Funny enough, one of those people that I've worked with 
you know, I joined the, the company and there were two guys and me who were running the tech department mm -hmm. and both of them left at some point. And by the time I was finishing up school, I literally ran all of the tech at WebGirls uh, because that's the beauty of a startup. If you are open to learning and taking on responsibility, you get to do that. And so I learned so much even before I graduated because I had real world experience of what it was like to do the work for real. So then I went, had to fulfill my dream of working at a big company. But I think coming from a small entrepreneurial background was definitely the wrong way to go because as soon as I went in, I saw how different that environment was yep. and it was not for me. I just knew it right away. Mm -hmm. So I lasted about 11 months. I always say lasted. <laughs> <laughs> And all the while, I kept in touch with WebGirls and doing work for them. And yep. 11 months later, I jumped ship and became a CTO at, in my early 20s, which was another amazing experience because over the next 10 years, I grew with the company. I grew the team. I learned all these processes. I started uh, speaking and training as my role in the industry evolved. And that's where I started seeing and meeting other entrepreneurs who would come to me with advice and help. And so I started my consulting company, Digital Woman, and I heard this persistent problem. After every event that I did, I had a huddle of entrepreneurs around me sharing their horror stories of working with development teams. A lot of them were not technical. And after blaming developers for the longest time, I finally decided that the reason why all of these things are happening to them is because they are not technical. They don't understand the process. They don't know how to ask the right questions and see those red flags. Because every time they share the story with me, I knew even before they told me how that story would end. And every single time, like I can spot those red flags because of the experience that I have. That's the problem I decided to solve is like, I have to be able to teach these non-technical people all they need to know. And then if I give them the tools and the roadmap for how to actually run teams and projects, then they can solve all of the problems that they see in the world effectively, efficiently, without wasting all that money and energy and time on the wrong things. So I've been doing that since 2012. <laughs> and yeah, the program evolved a lot and it's now completely online, which is another exciting milestone for it. Well, was that a result of COVID and kind of this evolution or were you kind of always moving online slowly with it? And so it started as a two-day boot camp. So I would teach the entire curriculum over a two-day period. And people would always ask me, like, I can't make it to the event. Can you put this up online? And there's so many different variables of people having to travel to a, one place and then making sure that the day that I scheduled the events would actually match with their dates. And I was always reluctant to actually do that because pre-COVID, and I don't know what it's like now, I think now it's more open for people to go and learn online, but pre-COVID, the completion rates of online courses were about 1%, which was very, very low. And I teach a process, like if you skip, if you start at the beginning and you skip the middle and you do some other workshop at the end, like you missed the whole point of the workshop. And I didn't want that. I wanted everyone to learn it from beginning to end and see how like all of the details are important and each step feeds into the next. And so as a whole is what makes the process what it is. And so for the longest time, I was very resistant. And then 
when I had kids, I actually had to shift things a lot in my personal life and business life as well. And so I almost never had time to schedule the classes. And at the same time, I just personally, what used to fire me up is seeing the transformation that happened in just two days. People would walk in one way and they would walk out completely different and so confident and so excited about actually moving forward that I knew that I needed to solve that problem. And going online was the only way that I could figure out how to do it. And so by the time COVID hit, I was about 50% there of taking it online. And then when COVID hit, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so timely. (laughs) So yeah, and now in hindsight, I feel like I should have done this so much sooner because so many people say like, I can now do this at any time at my own pace. And it's really like life shifting for them. But then also gives me an opportunity to talk to entrepreneurs all across the world now. Yeah, uh, increase the reach. Yeah, increase the reach as well. Yeah, do you see that completion rates now? Are they similar in the in Tech Speaks for Entrepreneurs online version versus the class intensive version? Absolutely. So I think the people who join the class, they already have experienced the pain and they have the fear. And so they have the motivation to actually do this. I also structured the program where we're answering the questions and I see if people are struggling. So we've created a support system around it to make sure that people are moving forward. But I think that if people are motivated to do this for their businesses, it's very different. I already know this in hindsight. It's very different than you're being forced, let's say, by your company to take a course and learn something. A lot of entrepreneurs who decide to dive into tech speak is because they actually felt the pain of what it's like to feel that uncertainty, what it's like to have that fear of spending thousands of dollars and not knowing if if what you're investing in both time and money is going to pan out. And so my approach is also very different than what most people teach. I think in San Francisco, it's uh, the lean methodology is very prevalent. I also think a lot of people still shockingly don't know it. There's a lot of misunderstanding around how to actually implement it. So what I find is a lot of people know the terminology. They know what an MVP is, what the lean way of building products is according to the lean startup book. but they don't actually know how to put it into action. And so when people hear me speak, which I do a lot, I do a lot of webinars, I do a lot of trainings. Now they realize that, okay, I can do this. And now I have a step-by-step way of the, how to implement it. One of the questions I wanted to ask you about this, right, is there are a lot of startups out there, a lot of them that have technical co-founders and a lot now that have, that are non-technical. Why is it so important to you that non-technical co-founders really are enabled and have success and that they're able to bring their ideas to life? Well, I think non-technical entrepreneurs, they see problems that technical people don't. And those problems for the world are really, really important to be solved. They're not necessarily the billion-dollar Silicon Valley business. They're not necessarily the type of business that would solve a problem for everybody, but they see problems that no one else sees. And because of that, I think they can solve a lot of problems for the communities that we're a part of that could completely change the life of someone. And simply because they don't have the skill set to be able to run a tech team, 
they're at a huge disadvantage. And so my goal in giving them the skills is to really empower them to be able to solve those really, really necessary problems that no one else cares about except them. No one else can see them. Like I work a lot with doctors, for example, even real estate, right? There's a lot of problems that if you're an expert in a specific field, you see those problems day in and day out. And only you can see those. And I can't, you can't. And that positions you really well to solve that problem. But you still are missing that huge tech component that you need. And oftentimes in the early days of your startup, you can't attract a technical co-founder with just an idea. And so I teach entrepreneurs on how to take small steps into getting their minimal viable products into the market so that they can start to get traction. And the more traction that you can have, the more attractive you become to a potential technical co-founder or a CTO or even investors for that matter. As many steps that one can take from taking their idea from their head and making it a reality. And sometimes I've seen people raise money from a clickable prototype because they've done some of that work and they made it more of a reality than it's something that they think is a good idea. Yeah, let's dig into that a little bit more, right? Because I think that then the next challenge that people face, right, is like a non-technical person is, I have this great idea and I know I want to go all in on it. And they immediately think to like, okay, I need some technical person that I'm just going to pitch them this idea and it's going to come to life, right? So what does that process look like? Really, how can they like lean into it and put something together that becomes more of an attraction versus pushing out this idea and trying to find someone else that can do it? Most people, when they have an idea, the first thought, like you said, they have is I need a tech person to help me build it. My 10-step process, writing code is step number eight. That means there are seven steps you have to go through before writing a line of code. And most developers will actually gladly write code for you because that's what they're trained to do. They love writing code as much as they can all day long. And so what I teach entrepreneurs, the very first two steps of my process are validate and prototype. And this is kind of reverse spin of what most people do. Most people build a product and then they go find a market for it. The lean way of building products says, well, find a market for it first and then build a product that solves the specific problem that you're going to solve. And so validation allows you to do that. It allows you to take your good idea, and maybe it's a bad idea, right? But you'll know that it's a bad idea. It'll take, allow you to take mostly a good idea because you see it right? It's, you see it on a daily basis. So you know that it must be a good idea, but it allow you to refine it to be a pain killer. It will allow you to really define the pain that you're solving very clearly in your head. And then based on that, you can, all the learning that you get from that, you can bake into a clickable prototype. Again, you're not writing any code, Clickable prototypes are pretty easy to create. I mean, it takes time. I've already gotten it to getting someone who's not completely non-technical to actually have one ready in two to three weeks. Yeah, if you have a really good process for actually ideation, using and leveraging all the tools that are out there, you can really quickly do it, right? And so those two steps allow you to, number one, refine your idea, and number two, refine your solution. And between those two things in an iterative fashion, 
you'll know 80% of the way and get the confidence that what before investing thousands of dollars in actual development and planning, which is the next step, know that you're building something that someone wants. I've even had people who go through my program who just doing those two steps were able to pre-sell the solution because they found a pain point big enough. And some people were able to raise investment money simply because they were able to get those people who are interested sign potential deals, right? Of like, I'm going to buy this solution when it's ready. And so just based on that, they were able to get enough interest to actually go and build it. Sometimes let's say you don't, right? Steps three to seven is all about taking the MVP and really bringing it down to the most minimal that it can be so that you can invest some of your own money on building that minimalist thing. I teach them how to understand what affects the cost of development, how to use all the different tools and technologies to optimize your MVP for speed and efficiency in the early days so that you can launch it as quickly as possible. I mean, using some of these strategies, one of my students was able to reduce the cost of their MVP from $50,000 to 15, simply because they use those strategies to control the cost and they were intentional about what they're going to be building. In this strategy, you're only spending a little bit of your own money to create an actual product. And then your focus will be 100% on going to those customers that you talk to and try to sign them up as customers. Because if you have like real traction of people wanting to pay you money, yep. then everything else becomes easy. Yep. The hardest problem to solve in businesses, I know it's very hard to believe as a non-technical person. A lot of non-technical people think that building the product is the hardest thing because that to them is the black box. Big question. Right? That's a big question mark. But as a technical person, I can tell you building a product is the easiest part. Building a business around that idea is what's hard finding customers, finding a right market, finding funding, all of the things to perfectly come together at that same moment is the hardest part. And so if you do it incrementally and do it in an iterative fashion, you can really get to success a lot faster and more efficiently without spending thousands of dollars on building things that no one actually will want or use. Yeah, I think that's something even technical founders, right, make that mistake all the time too, where they have a great idea for themselves that they build and then try to get customers to use it instead of starting that inverse way of understanding Absolutely. and empathizing with those ideal clients or customers and then creating the solution that they're looking for. Absolutely. I hear it all the time as my programs are geared towards not technical people. And then the techies stand up and like, what are some things that we should be doing? <laughs> and I'm like, follow the same process. Right. And it, it's easy for us to skip those two steps, for example, because we can, right? We can very quickly start building, but you end up building so many more things. Building the product first and finding customers then is just the hardest uphill battle no one wants to go through. Cool. So, um, changing gears a little bit, you have this motto never fear what you don't know, this tagline. It sounds almost like that's something that you came up with from personal experience. Is there like a story or anything that really brings that tagline to life for you? Yeah, I think it's my life story. <laughs> <laughs> when I came to this country, I had to learn so many new things about everything, the culture, the language. And there was a lot of fear 
and I could let that fear stop me in my tracks or just push through that and actually let it fuel me to getting past it. So first, when I came to this country, then when I decided to study computer science, same exact thing. When I went into the professional world, you know, there were so many opportunities where I was just thrown in like CTO in my 20s. I had no idea what I was doing. Saying yes to a lot of things that scared me to death. But I still said, okay, what are the smallest steps that I can take to learn this quickly? And just having that open mind of learning and learning and learning and not being afraid. Just like if you have the fear, it'll stop you. Mm -hmm. But if you say, I'm just going to take small steps to just make progress every day, then that's no longer scary, right? And that's actually applying the lean methodology in hindsight, if you think about it. Do your own personal life. And I was doing that unconsciously initially. But when I look back at my life, I just found that mantra to be so appropriate. I feel like that personally too. I think an early mentor spoke to me about just doing things that make you uncomfortable. It's even what actually got me into podcasting. Like I I didn't even know what a podcast was until I started. So (laughs) yeah, thinking of it from that lean perspective too is it's such a great way to approach so many problems. So I guess one other thing you touched on a little bit too, right? And women in technology, right? So there's this big problem out there, right? That everyone's been trying to look at and, you know, with, uh, especially now, like with diversity, equity, inclusion, right? And how do we get the technology space to really grow the demographics of who can play in this space? And is there anything in your mind that you feel like is keeping women from getting into technology in the first place? Well, a lot of women who I also hear so many stories of women are in tech, they get into tech, and then they experience the the working conditions and the environment, and they decide to remove themselves from that space. And so I think to solve the problem, so we have two problems. We have a problem retaining people once uh, they're there, and we definitely have a shortage of people who are interested in going in those fields. To solve the problem of retention, we have to change our cultures. We have to change the company cultures to be more acceptable of diversity. And I think without that, we won't be able to retain people. I've been walking into many rooms where I'm the only female around the table and everybody looks at me differently until like, I have to prove myself that I have the knowledge and that I belong there. And, you know, eventually I just get used to it. That becomes a normal thing. But why do I even have to do that? Right. That's the first thing. And then I think to solve the problem of the pipeline, we need more role models. There's very few women who are profiled as Mark Zuckerberg. Right. Like you can't find one, even though there are like I think Marissa Myers was the first product person who was technical. Right. Who was uh, profiled so highly in uh, the media to get more women specifically, like I was a very different person because I came from this background of giving up was never an option for me. So I pushed through a lot of the obstacles that came my way. And I feel like I was lucky because of that. I was never aware of me being the only female in my class or one of the few two or three that actually went through our class. I just was blinded to it because I was so focused on getting to my end result. Mm -hmm. But most women are not that way. They see there's very few people. They feel out of place. And I think also the way computer science is taught 
is so dry. Like it's not fun at all. Like if I had to design a computer science curriculum, I would do it completely differently, yep. right? To me, it would be about solving problems, about making it fun and exciting and actually doing things in the class and not learning a whole bunch of theory. Yes, I mean, there's place for theory, but you also have to make it actionable and exciting and fun, especially the way women learn, right? We want to solve problems in the world. And if you can show them that by being the creator of the technology, you can affect so many more people, then I think more women would come on board. So Bumble, just when they had their IPO, right? Their CEO now, Whitney Wolfert, right? She's really like potential influencer now. She is like that. I would say that potential Mark Zuckerberg, right? Yeah, so you think that like more of that kind of thing happening is right? Yeah, absolutely. I think we just need more women, but she's also not technical, right? True. Like, I yeah. think she's a techie per se. She's more on the marketing side. And so we don't actually have a role model who is super technical, who is perceived as, as a really an amazing role model. There's just, I can't think of one that is profiled in the media. And yes, there are a lot of smaller sites that profile women. There's lots of projects where, you know, even I've been a part of that try to do that, but it's not the big media channels, right? It's not celebrated as much as by the traditional media, which is where the little girls of the world are looking to, right? They're not reading the little, the small blogs or the news channels that are not mainstream. So we need more mainstream people doing amazing things. And even TV shows where every geek girl, very few of them are starting to show it, but every smart girl has to be ditzy or it's just offensive to me that she she can be pretty and smart and empowering at the same time. It's just not, doesn't sell, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> But all of that has to change and it's going to take time to change. Now, like for listeners, if you were to challenge them to do one thing differently and change, uh, if you could change everyone, yeah, to do one thing differently, what would that one thing be? So I'll uh, say two things. Number one is um, find the problem first and then build the product. (laughs) That's the most important one. And then every single day, take a small action towards achieving your goal. No matter how small it seems, just take action. Every single day you take it, it's going to become less and less a fear-based driver to actually achieving something. And so you're going to get more excited about seeing results every single day, even though it might be scary. So never fear what you don't know. For you, as you look forward at TechSpeak, what do you feel like is your biggest problem now and going into the rest of the year? So the biggest problem now is to reach as many people as I can. Uh, Now I can. (laughs) And finding the time to really talk to as many people as I can every day all across the world who use this information, who needs to hear it, right? And um, when I do webinars, for example, like the biggest feedback that they get is I now know exactly what I need to be doing. Right. And it's giving them that aha moment that they don't have to wait. They don't have to be the victim. I just received an amazing thank you letter from a woman who took one of my workshops and she was waiting for eight months for a technical person to take her seriously. She's a non-tech entrepreneur 
And so she attended one of my webinars and she said, okay, I'm going to take action because I, I make them commit to taking action at my webinar. So she committed and she validated her idea and she built a prototype within two months of actually taking action. She sent me that thank you note saying, I cannot believe how the conversation changed. I now have people who are actually talking to me, right? Before, like there was no even a conversation to be had. And now she found someone who is very interested in what she's doing and potentially is considering joining her team. And that's the type of stuff that can happen if you just don't wait, right? Believe in your idea enough that you take action every single day and things will start to happen. And where can people go to learn more? Go to techspeakforentrepreneurs.com. You can connect me with me there. You can register for the, one of the free classes that I mentioned. And you can also check out the program if you're ready to dive in. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on today, Nelly. Uh, it's been awesome to have you, and I'd love to have you on again soon. Absolutely. Let's do it again.